And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Uh, hello, welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. My name is Maggie. My name is Harmony. And today we're talking about The Prince and The Dressmaker. I'm sorry that I sound like this. I have a head cold. No, it is not coronavirus. You do not need to be concerned. But in better news, Harmony, we finally found a graphic novel that I really, really love. <gasps> Yay! Yay! I'm very excited for you. I'm glad that you really, really loved this. Yeah, it wasn't like a full five stars, but it was, I think, by far my favorite graphic novel I've ever read. And like, honestly, I couldn't even really tell you why or what made it different than other graphic novels that I've read. Mm -hmm. I think it was just so fucking cute. You know, what did you think? I thought it was very cute as well. I also think as opposed to the graphic novels we read for the pod, the length really helped it. But yeah, I had a similar experience where I was like, oh, this is just like a nice, joyous thing. So like, even if graphic novels aren't my favorite medium, I could definitely enjoy this because the story is just so god darn cute. It's so cute. We've also read a lot of really heavy things recently, so I think it's nice to, you know, lighten it up a little bit. That's true. I read a summary. I could read that. Yes. Yes, please. So The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wong is, it follows Francis and Sebastian in Paris at the dawn of modernization. Frances works as a seamstress when she's approached by a client being forced to go to a ball she doesn't want to and makes her a unique and scandalous dress as an act of rebellion. From there, she's found by Sebastian, the crown prince of Belgium, who has a secret. Sometimes he just wants to wear dresses. Francis goes to work for Sebastian as his personal seamstress, and together they both navigate what it will take for them to achieve their dreams. Oh, yay! Wow, that's exciting. This is your episode, so what was your first discussion point? Because I now have a few. <laughs> you have a few now already? I have a couple. So I think the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the idea that, like, the way you dress in this book is very much seen as not just an act of expression, but also in many senses a political thing as well, uh, especially for Sebastian, who is the crown prince. And I feel like typically that's seen as being a very feminine thing. But I really enjoyed the fact that in this book, because of, you know, who Sebastian is and the way he identifies, which is alluded to that it might be non-binary, but he uses he, him pronouns and they never explicitly use that word. So I'm not going to, besides this really either, because it, the focus was much more just on the fact that like he enjoys dressing like a, like wearing dresses rather than mm -hmm. his gender identity for the most part. And I thought it was really interesting to see those complications be transferred to a male character. And I wanted to know what you thought about that. You mean the complications of dress? I mean, I work currently at a retail store. So I think that that's really opened up my idea of male expression because, I mean, for the most part, like cis men, I've always thought that they've, they're kind of boring in terms of clothing and uh, self-expression on an outward scale because there aren't as many options for them. Like if you go clothing shopping and you go into the men's section of a Target, it's like really, really dismal. But, you know, having worked in retail now, I see that like men really love expressing themselves and they are very picky about it. I'm, I'm talking about cis men because of course all people love expressing themselves. But yeah, I don't know. I also thought that was interesting, I guess, as a form of self-expression. But I'm curious as to what you mean by the political aspect. Because to me, I don't think I picked up on it as much. Oh, I mean, I mean the very little literal political aspect that he's the crown prince who needs to become king. And like, this is not acceptable. Except <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a new word I'm creating. It's a mash of political and acceptable. Acceptable. It's, it's not in that way politically acceptable for him to, to dress as a woman because he needs to like essentially emulate his father who is a very like man's man. Yeah. 
So do you think it's playing then on like toxic masculinity or just gender roles in general? Because you were saying earlier that we don't know uh, if he is not binary, but it does appear like it's not just someone presenting as a male wearing a dress. Like he goes full out and presents very femme when he dresses up. He does. And he has a whole alter ego. Um, and he says early in the novel, let me see if I can find the specific page. Um, but he essentially says that sometimes he sees himself. Yeah, here it is on page 44. Some days I look at myself in the mirror and think that's me, Prince Sebastian. I wear boys clothes and look like my father. Other day, it doesn't feel right. Other days, it doesn't feel right at all. Those days, I feel like I'm actually a princess. So I think that's what I meant when I said it was alluded to about the the fact that he could be bi- non-binary. And I think that that is what the, what the graphic novel is leaning towards. But especially because he, you know, how does how is it pronounced, Lady? Lady Clementine? No, Lady Clementine is his first one, but he becomes Lady Crystal, Crystal Anya, I think. Um, let me find it. Um, but he does also continue to use like exclusively he, him pronouns throughout it. So it's, it's interesting. Um, but that I really enjoyed because it felt like a very, and of course, as somebody who isn't non-binary, I can't say if it's good or bad or authentic representation, but it felt to me at least similar to a lot of struggles that you have while you're growing up and coming of age and being like, is this who I am? And like a lot of people don't make leaps into being like, oh yeah, this is how I identify and why right away when they're first just starting to dabble, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. While we're talking about his presentation as a man, how do you think that played into the book's depiction of his sexuality? Like, were you disappointed of his maybe heterosexuality or did you think that was a good depiction or... Because it is like gender and sexuality are two different things. But I don't know. I was a little bit like, oh, I would have really liked to see him be interested in multiple sexes. I think I felt both ways. The first that I think that there is a lot of um, assumption that if you are um, not cis in any way that you have to also be gay um Hmm. or pan or something of that nature and i did think it was interesting to see that he is interested in francis and is at the very least interested in women at the end um but i was also a little bit disappointed but i think it was more because at the beginning he talks specifically about the fact that when he thinks of all of these princesses and marrying them he just doesn't seem as interested. And so I thought that that was the direction the book was going. But I yeah. guess that looking back on it, he specifically is worried. He specifically says that he's worried about it because he feels like they won't accept him for who he is, yeah. not necessarily because he's not attracted to them. I just sort of assumed that like there might be other aspects at play here. So I think I think that I feel both ways that it is good to have representation of someone who is gender fluid and still could be like interested in hetero like um sexual relationships, but also I did kind of want it to go more of like a also being more open to other sexuality sort of way. Having said that though, the more I read the other male characters in this book that come up over and over again really sucked and <laughs> the best so like for me ultimately i was like hell yeah i mean if he's gonna end up with someone else romantically like i don't want it to be any of these douchebags did you feel as though the romantic plot in of itself was a little forced like would you have been okay slash do you think it would still have been as powerful of a of a depiction had he just like been best friends with francis and not ended up with anyone yeah that was a question i had for you because i For me, that was, I think, part of the reason it didn't end up being a full five stars um, was because I didn't know how I felt about the romantic thing at the end, especially because the romantic stuff that happened, like, it was still left really vague, like, what they were to each other at the end. So I think if they were gonna go the full romance route, I wish that we could have also explored that aspect a little bit more instead of it just kind of being neatly at the end, like oh okay like his father says you know someone someone still loves him and stuff and that's important and that's good enough um and for me also that tied into a different question that I have for you uh which was I wish that this book explored a little bit more about class discrepancy because you know Francis and 
the crown prince come from very different backgrounds. And part of what ends up limiting Francis ultimately is the fact that she needs help from her friends who are in higher places, like higher economic and more powerful places, because she is not from that background. Yeah. And so I wish that especially in their friendship and that their like supposed romance, we could have dived into that a little bit more because this novel does take place in, you know, monarchy france so like it wouldn't normally be okay for like the crown prince to be interested in his seamstress and stuff like that and it didn't super take away anything from the book for me but it was something that i noticed so how did you feel about a the romantic aspect and b did you also pick up on those kind of like class tensions and did you wish that they were more for present as well i felt mixed about the romantic aspect i thought it was i thought it was a positive depiction because it kind of showed that you can like love somebody and have their gender be secondary or not at all a part Mm -hmm. of their love because i do kind of feel like their relationship was kind of genderless in a lot of ways i guess but i also thought that it kind of took away a little bit from the story because it wasn't really introduced to us until kind of later. And I'm one of those people that really enjoys when you have strong, intimate friendships and stories. And like, that's all they are. And I mean, he doesn't need somebody to love him romantically in order to be, to, to feel accepted, I feel. Or to like be as strong and powerful and have his full coming. Yeah, and I don't, I think something that I also felt conflicted about is when the king made that comment, it was very unclear if he meant it in a romantic way or if he just recognized the fact that Francis really is, like, Sebastian's best friend. Mm -hmm. And then she, like, was able to then use that almost as permission to kiss him. But I agree with you. I wish that if we were going to take the romantic route, that that was built up more because I was really enjoying just reading this book about best friends. And then like probably two thirds of the way through, we have a near miss with the kiss. And Mm -hmm. then at the end we have a kiss. Uh, But then even at the end, so at the very end of the graphic novel, Francis and Sebastian have all kind of come into their own. Francis is working with, um, the designer who made the ballet for Cristalia, which is the inspiration for Sebastian's whole, like, alter ego is not the right word, but, like, the persona he adopts when he dresses in a more femme way. And so she's, like, working with her and being really famous, and Sebastian is, like, living his best life, essentially being who he wants to be as it feels right on the day and stuff. And so, but he's at school in France, and they're not living together anymore. And they come back together... For what seems like the first time in a little while, like there's a reunion and they don't even kiss there. And I was like, wait, what? If this is like going to be a romance, shouldn't we like be ending this with a bang? Yeah, it was annoying. Like it felt, and I don't know if this is necessarily bad, but it kind of felt like they needed to be romantically involved just so that people wouldn't be like, oh, well, he can't be gay. But it's also like it's still a revolutionary book because he's gender bending a little. And I, I just I don't know. I I felt like it came out of nowhere and it it felt as though it was just kind of there to explicitly be like, he likes girls. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. For me, it was just kind of like, either I needed more of it or for it to have not been there at all. And I think I would have preferred it to have not been there at all. But I will say that ultimately it didn't really, I think partially because there was so little of it in general, it didn't take a huge amount away from my enjoyment at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What about the class thing? I had mixed feelings on the class story. And I think that, you know, you've brought this point up a lot. The fact that like graphic novels are sometimes difficult because there just isn't as much there. Like we don't have as much text to work with. And we're not really visual people. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Maggie is. I'm not a visual person. (laughs) I felt like we didn't get enough of Francis's arc a little bit in terms of the class thing. Like you were talking about how it's weird that he would be with with a seamstress. But this is obviously not necessarily like a historically accurate book. Like they have department stores coming on. And yeah, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily like it felt a little bit like out of time and place. But I don't know. Yeah, it was... It was hard for me as someone who has grown up for the majority of my life, I'd say probably like underneath the poverty line and or like just above it (laughs) because her only resolution was to get help from her friends and there wasn't 
it it seemed to have a sort of like capitalist model going on here like i don't i don't know she didn't she didn't reach her full capitalism though as in like building i don't know she she didn't go from rags to riches necessarily she just got like help from her friends and it just kind of like resolved itself yeah i i think that the thing for me about this topic in general in this specific novel is that like it is its intention is to be such i think a a light-hearted story it is very cute the whole way and b i think in a lot of ways a one topic story you know like mm-hmm. we're exploring gender fluidity in a place where in a place in a time where that normally wouldn't have been accepted and so like i wish i think it didn't really bother me at the beginning when she's a seamstress and it didn't super bother me when she's working for Francis or when she was working for Sebastian. I think what was difficult for me reading it and wished that it could have been explored more was when she had to go back to work as a seamstress and she couldn't leave with a reference from Sebastian because they had had a fight as friends and they were never really going to be able to, he was never really going to be able to use her as a reference anyways or give her a reference anyways because of the nature of their whole arrangement. So she like Mm -hmm. goes back to the beginning and then just happens to be stumbled upon by Peter who we will get to (laughs) and is able to then like use that connection. And I mean, on the one hand networking, but on the other hand, it just made me feel a little bit like I wish we could have explored that power dynamic more because part of what we do explore in this novel is the fact that Sebastian as someone who has up until this point, at least always presented like a cishet white dude has a lot of power and assumes that he's kind of going to be treated the same way throughout. Like he's really shocked when he's come on to while he's dressing as Lady Cristalia and he freaks out and reacts in a way that I think a lot of women probably want to when they're accosted by drunk men, but I know very few who actually do at least personally, because he like sends him fucking flying. Um, So, like, we explore the way that Sebastian has to rethink about his power and his power dynamics, especially in relationship to Francis in that way, but we don't in the class way. And to me, it just felt a little bit missing because that's where the consequences for her actually ended up lying, right? Like, she had to, to a certain extent, go back to her beginning because of this uneven power dynamic that was occurring. I don't know if that made sense. No, that totally made sense. And I think you got at what I was trying to articulate. Yeah. So, like, I don't mind particularly that it wasn't there. It just felt like that specific moment, like, we could have had a bigger conversation that could have still kept the book lighthearted. And we just, we just, we just, we missed the opportunity there. And I wish that we didn't. Yeah, because Frances is very much, like, all about the laboring and her whole benefit from this arrangement is the idea that, like, she gets to work more. Which just doesn't seem fair to me. (laughs) Yeah, and also, like, she gets to work more for a high-profile client, but, like, the moment that they have their fight, she says, I can't live in your closet anymore, because something that she, I think, was not, I mean, she was unaware of when she went into this arrangement, because she was supposed to be unaware of it, but, like, she was never actually going to be able to share the fact that she was the designer behind all of these clothes, right? Because Sebastian was hiding. And, like, she made that sacrifice for him, essentially, ultimately, out of the goodness of her heart and of their friendship. But that was also unfair because she ended up doing all of that work that she thought was going to ultimately let her achieve her dream. And then not only did it not do that, it, like, could have, like, it sent her back to the beginning, you know? They only happened to come back together again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's also a fun play on uh, words. I can't live in your closet anymore. (laughs) I thought that was really lovely because it's like the closet of like gender fluidity and the fact that she's like his seamstress and so she's literally in his (laughs) closet. I I was interested in that punny aspect. I think that also really struck a chord with me because uh, in the creative industry, there's so much more, I'm trying to think, prevalence, I guess is the right word, given to front of house creatives. Like, in this case, it would be, you know, Lady Cristalia, because when Sebastian is out as her, he is, I mean, they do like a modeling fashion show, right? Like, he is a creative force in this. So he's like Mm -hmm. the model of, of everything that's happening here. Whereas the back of house creatives who make a lot of that stuff happen get forced to the back and aren't given any credit 
in the best of times. So that also, I think, really struck a nerve with me just as somebody who's who's worked in that space before and been behind the scenes because it is something that's really, really common. I also feel like from a labor perspective, it's also something that exists in creative workforces that like you should just feel it doesn't matter if you're not getting credit and it doesn't matter if you're not getting you know like fair pay and stuff like that because you should just feel grateful to be allowed to do this work and to be like earning anything from it yeah you're paid an exposure except for in this case you aren't even being paid an exposure (laughs) yeah yeah oh She's, she's paid in like the, the love of the work. She's allowed to create the design she wants to create. But also like pay me real money, bitch. Yeah. And I mean, she is being paid a salary. Um, yeah. But the whole thing for her is that like she needs more than that. But that's also fair. Because even if you are getting adequately paid for your work, if people are stealing it or not giving you credit for it, like that is also not being fairly compensated for it you know which she talks about when she sees other people wearing designs that are inspired by her on the street and she can't even be like like the like you are taking this all from me which i think in fashion is part of the point like that people have good ideas and then they spread but like the fact that she can't say that she's the focal point of them so that she can get more work and be a designer is like a really big hindrance to her career yeah i don't know that storyline just kind of makes me sad I think it's too dark for me right now. So maybe it's good they didn't get into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's good. He's come up a couple of times now. So do we want to talk about Peter? Okay, wait. So I don't have the text with me. Peter, he's the guy that is like kind of a fuck boy, maybe a little bit. And he like has the fashion, the department store place. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. they meet him when after the scene where they are um, not not even they, uh, Lady Cristalia is essentially come on to very aggressively by a very, very drunk man. And (laughs) she throws him essentially across the room. Peter comes in and like diffuses the situation for them and is like, oh, it's okay. Like these are my friends. Peter in this situation has more social power than the drunk man. So the drunk man can't really do anything from there. And Peter like Mm -hmm whisks them off and rescues them and throughout the graphic novel i found him to be a really utterly realistic character as someone who is i think genuinely trying to help but like does it in a very misguided like let me shepherd you ladies to safety and like let me shape you sort of way that like really by the end made me kind of hate him a little bit and I felt bad because I don't think that was the point of his character. Like, I don't think you were supposed to hate him. But I think like, you were a little. Oh, my God. He just felt, you know, for someone who says, like, maybe half a dozen lines through the whole thing, <laughs> I had a lot of burning emotion about him. I think he was set up just to be, like, I mean, because I think he was set up to be kind of like the late, the love interest in the way that that princess, that uh sebastian was going to marry was love interest yeah as people who aren't necessarily like bad people but who don't love our protagonists in the way that they deserve to be loved and like don't love them for everything that they are and that was kind of how i felt about peter like he is kind of helpful but at the same time he doesn't really appreciate francis And he also continually puts her down and it feels like he's nagging her sometimes. And also specifically says, you're so close, you just need someone to guide you to greatness. I think that was the line specifically that like really upset me that he just said over and over again. Because A, what the fuck does he know? Like, (laughs) not in a mean way, but he dresses like he dresses to the standards of fashion at the time, but that also means that he dresses like all the other men that we see in the graphic novel, right? Like he doesn't ever seem to have some sort of like intense fashion knowledge. It's not like he's an expert. Hmm. He's he's just saying it. He just thinks it because he's the dude in the situation essentially. And he has the money and he has the power. So she should be creating as he wants to, but he does it slyly because he instead of just hiring her and saying hey i think you're really talented but like i'm paying you here so like can i commission things he like makes it seem like he tries to make it seem like it's all her idea and like manipulates her in a way that i really 
dislike. And then again, going back to kind of the whole like economic situation here, she doesn't have a lot of oomph with which to fight back because even though the situation is dreadfully unfair, it is arguably, it's not even arguably, it's more money, it's a lot more exposure, and she is moving up in her career regardless. So she kind of just has to grin and take it. Fuck capitalism, man. Fuck it all. And fuck Peter. And fuck Peter. But he does get a redemption moment, doesn't he? At the end? I don't have the text. I thought that he, like, they talk and he's like, oh, no, it's great. Look, everyone's wearing your styles or something. I mean, he does, but I, I think I didn't really like it. So it says at the very end on page 246, Peter loves it. He says it's exactly what his shoppers want. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This isn't even the right thing. This is <laughs> this is when he's about to debut, like, his own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it says 269. Hey, that wasn't b- too bad. Well done, Francis. Not what I was expecting, of course, but people seem to really like it. And then he turns to Cristalia and says, and that's your best look yet, Cristalia. And Francis says, thanks, Peter. So, like, he gets a little bit of redemption, but not a lot of bit of <laughs> redemption, you know? Like, it's it's just kind of like, well, that wasn't as bad as it could have been, you know? Like, I think yeah. the big moment of redemption is that Francis sees, after Sebastian is outed as Lady Cristalia, which is a really difficult scene to read and we will also probably end up unpacking that but peter francis catches peter and some other rando essentially talking about how gross and weird it is and francis like freaks out at them and is like you monsters and then runs away and it's like a big thing so i think for me that redemption was more supposed to be like to me it read a little bit less about francis and a little bit Mm -hmm. more about like i will play nice with cristalia and like accept this because Francis was the one who caught them. And maybe that's me misreading it. Maybe it really is as wholesome all the way around. I think I was just so angry at Peter that it just felt really lackluster, no matter what. No, I mean, Peter is kind of a dick. I don't, I'm saying kind of a dick because I don't think that the book tries to depict him as being a bad person, but in the way that like most humans are kind of like good people, he upholds the status quo too much and he's not aware of his privilege. Or if he is, he's using it in a way that disempowers Francis. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also why I'm trying to emphasize the fact that this was very much just like my visceral reaction to Peter rather than like I think that what the book is trying to say or like any kind of moral judgment on him really I just for whatever reason had like a very intensely negative reaction to him. And who knows, like, it could have really just been where I was at when I read the book, you know, because we encounter people and characters like this all the time. And like, I think it's also important to note that Peter's intentions, while his execution is misguided, like, he is trying to help and like, to a certain extent, but like, he's not, he's not actively trying to make things worse, you know, like, he's not trying to be that level of dick, you know? His thickishness doesn't seem to come from a place of cruelty which i think is important like we can recognize that his actions are dickish but that like he may not be a bad person and i think that's how most people are i think that's like where most everyday you know microaggressions or acts of sexism or (laughs) racism in the everyday like outside of the kkk or just like you know people who are actively trying to be cruel come from yeah, I agree. That's what I'm trying to get out here and failing to articulate. So th- thank you. Because that that's totally how, how I feel about the situation as well. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the scene where uh, Marcel outs Cristalia? Can you give us a summary since I don't have the text? Yeah, so let me pull it up in the book so that I can be real real objective about it because it was difficult to read and it was meant to be difficult to read of course so sebastian tells his parents that he will marry juliana essentially so that people will stop bucking hounding him and every princess in the general vicinity about the situation and he's met juliana a couple of times there was like a confession that she likes him and wants to get to know him better so i think he kind of just picked her 
picks her because she seems like she would be the best of the bunch with that do you think that's a fair assessment of the situation yeah i mean like one of the other girls we see is literally 12 or something so <laughs> yeah and he's very much like not not into it so the night before essentially all of this is going to be announced sebastian goes out as Cristalia for one last time to a bar and he gets really fucking drunk <laughs> and Marcel, Prince Marcel, who is Juliana's brother, finds him, uh, starts aggressively hitting on Cristalia, like, very aggressively, and trying to be very suave about it. So let, let me read... It's so short because it's a graphic novel. Let me, let me read how this goes down. It starts on page 200. Hey, remember me? Do I? I'll give you a hint. I know, I know who you are. You're Prince Marcel, Juliana's brother. So I did leave an impression. Did you hear my sisters getting betrothed tomorrow? Maybe you'd like to come to the party with. Too late. This is Cristal- This is Lady Cristalia's last night here. Where are you going? Disappearing. I'm getting away from this awful place. Why? Wow, what happened? Nothing. I did it all to myself. I hurt people, and I'm going to hurt you if you're not careful. I'd like to see you try. You have uh-huh. no idea, buddy. Anyway, that's why I have to go now. Hey, hey, at least let me offer you a ride home. I can do it! You know I'm royalty, right? You'd be very lucky to be on the arm of someone like me. Maybe you'd like to be a queen someday. And then Lady Cristalia, she bursts out laughing. Like, scream laughing. What's so funny? Can you imagine if I married you and your sister? What? Congratulations to our parents. Sebastian's a two-for-one deal. Wait, what? What about Sebastian? And then she falls over drunk, and Marcel takes her wig off and discovers that it's, in fact, Sebastian, and that Sebastian is gender fluid, essentially. And so they bring they bring um, Sebastian home, and the betrothal thing is about to start the next morning. Sebastian is running very, very late, so they start without him, and then Marcel just dumps Sebastian dressed as Cristalia on the floor and takes off the wig and outs him in front of not just his parents, but the entire court in front of Juliana. And Juliana freaks the fuck out and runs away and is essentially like, I can't do this. And it's extra awkward because his parents, of course, understandably have some questions and frankly don't even frame them in a mean or harmful way. But the whole situation is so harmful to begin with that the fact that they won't just let the kid run away to deal with this on like on his own is mind-boggling yeah so while peter may not like be an intentionally cruel person marcel i feel that is definitely like a horrible person (laughs) yeah marcel is really i think the epitome of like what it means to be a prince in this time period frankly like You can do whatever you want, you can say whatever you want, and you feel entitled to absolutely, positively, whatever and whoever you want, and using information in whatever way that you want. Um, In a way that I think, of course, many cishet men do now, but, like, the actual political power that he has, being the crown prince, really just scales it up to a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah, that was was uncomfortable to read. Um, what were i mean it's uncomfortable because first of all we're like in an aggressive situation in terms of marcel trying to like woo or i don't know hit on lady cristilia and then it's also kind of like it's it's also hard to read when cristalia passes out and you know marcel feels as though he can touch Sebastian or Lady Cristalia and then does out him in that way that that is really uncomfortable and then it's uncomfortable to have a public outing like I think it's one thing to maybe like confront somebody in private but to do it publicly especially like in front of the entire kingdom (laughs) like trying to ruin somebody's reputation and embarrass them in front of their their family is really horrifying And then, I don't know, like, I don't think Juliana necessarily reacted in a way that could be wrong, because it's kind of a big surprise. And like, this is also something given the the time period, something that's embarrassing for her 
as well, but she gets the courtesy at least to leave the situation. And it's just really heart-wrenching for Sebastian because he has to stay there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Juliana's reaction is, I think, hurtful, but I agree with you, understandable, because it is a big surprise. And also, I can see on her end why she might feel a little bit betrayed by it because earlier in the novel, Sebastian dressed as Cristalia goes to a spa with her to like meet with this really um, like high end fashion lady, fashion lady uh, who again designed the ballet that Cristalia is essentially based on. Like that's where he gets the name from and all of that. And while there, Sebastian does specifically say like, everyone's going to be really undressed and like Mm -hmm. so i could see why that would be an awkward situation to 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 feel like someone you were talking to to find out that someone who you were talking to was not actually that person especially when you were romantically interested in the person that it actually was um so like i get it from juliana's standpoint but But yeah her emotions and sebastian doesn't which isn't fair sorry no he just sits there and has to like deal with this disappointment and like his parents leave and they don't take him with them. And he's just left there dressed as Cristalia by himself. And people do try and comfort him. Um, You can see in the ending of it that like, that like people are attempting to kind of like comfort him a little bit. But, like, the whole thing is just so heart-wrenching. And it really is the public nature of it that makes it so just unspeakably cruel. Combined with Marcel just being so fucking skeevy. Like, trying to pick up someone who's obviously drunk and, like, would you like to be a queen someday? Like, it's funny in the context of the fact that we know he's talking to Sebastian, who's going to be king, but, like, in actuality, the horror of that whole situation is really intense. And I feel like to have it all just smushed together in one scene really packed an emotional punch. Yeah, and I mean... For me, at no, least. No, I agree. I think because this is, this is, like, I found this novel in my teen section, like, my library's teen section... So this isn't something that's supposed to have a ton of mature topics necessarily, but it does relate to so many, like it's calling, it's deliberately calling out to a lot of real world issues, like issues that happen when trans people are discovered as not being their presented gender or like public outings or, you know, the abandonment that a lot of trans teens or gay teens, like a lot of queer people in general are abandoned by their families. And I think that's why, and I mean like, and the weird rapiness, I think that's why it was so hard for us to read because even though this is a PG, not even a PG, this is probably like a G, a G graphic novel. Like we suddenly have all of these very dark undertones that allude to so many serious real world problems yeah for sure and i mean his parents reaction to the whole situation is really it's difficult because sebastian ultimately ends up really like running the hell away like as far as he can from the whole scenario after it's over like he essentially attempts to join a monastery because he just doesn't know what to do and it's partially unfortunate timing because his father ends up becoming really sick and collapsing while dealing with sort of the aftermath of this so sebastian really internalizes that and feels like all of this that's happening is all his fault so he runs away to this monastery and his parents end up trying to give him the space that they think he needs but it's not until they show up for him and he can talk to them and explain himself And explain who he is and how he feels that things are okay again between the two of them. Because after that, they, especially his father, shows vehement acceptance of who he is. Not just through his words, but through his actions. And I also thought that that was a really important message. That, like, it's important to give people the time and space they need to deal with their emotions. But you also have to 
show up for them and be present and supportive for them, especially after something traumatic like this happens. Yeah. And I think it's also like, I think it also kind of like the conversation we were having about Peter, like, it's clear to us that Sebastian's father isn't a bad guy, even though his expectations are really harmful to Sebastian. And like, I think Mm -hmm. it's important for us to see that he has some outdated beliefs, but that he's ultimately like when he's given enough time and like ability to like think about the situation he's ultimately able to like accept his son and love his son and there's this beautiful moment that i think maggie just alluded to where a bunch of men dress in drag and the king is one of them and he looks gorgeous and it's beautiful and i cried it is it is i i also agree with that i had that in my notes as well that the king is very purposefully drawn out to be the most stereotypical manly man possible. A, I totally agree to set out how harmful these expectations Mm. are. But B, I think to also showcase the fact that it doesn't matter who you are and who your preconceived notions are. Like, you can be open to accepting anything uh, and anyone for exactly who they are. And I really loved that scene as well. So essentially the king and the queen come. Sebastian comes to see Francis in her like shining glory and convinces Francis that she should not show these essentially like boring, boring dresses that have nothing to do with her as a designer because he brought all of Cristalia's dresses and like we should go out and show them. And then the king and queen track him down because they don't know where he went. They were like very worried about him. Um, and they have this really lovely moment. And he says... The king says, you're going to help the prince and the dressmaker any way you can see to their needs. And he essentially hijacks this entire fashion show and sends his guards and his men out wearing Cristalia's dresses. And it's just really, it's really lovely to see. And Cristalia is so excited. Anyway, so the king has, like, this whole confrontation where he also stands up for, like, his child and Francis. And it's just so beautiful at the end. And also talks about, like, the changing world in the sense of, like, his parting thing to Francis is, like, you know, in a world of department stores, where, where do kings and princes really fit in anyways? You know, like, everything is changing and it's time to embrace, to embrace it all. And it was just a really lovely message in the end. <laughs> Aww, it was very lovely. And I think, like, this was a good graphic novel for us to read, you know? When Maggie and I are recording this, I don't know about Maggie, but, like, the world seems like it's going to shit. I think we talk about that on this podcast a lot. But, like... A lot. <laughs> but, like, right now, there's there's some, like, things that, you know, externally are happening that feel very timely and very depressing. And I think it's, I think it's nice for us to read something that is so hopeful. And so, like, that shows us that people can change and be more open-minded. Yeah, for sure. I think the last thing I want to talk about is Frances, because you said at the beginning that you wish we had more of her story. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree. I feel a little conflicted about how much screen time she got because ultimately she did get as much screen time as Sebastian did. But there was, I think a small bit for me of a question of like, is this one of those cases where it's just like, this is a female character whose entire presence is here to kind of like forward another character's story and plot. And I think in certain cases, the answer to that was yes. And I think that Wang was really cognizant of that by trying to give Francis her whole, like give Francis everything she wanted, right? Like all of this work did ultimately lead to her dream. And like, she is really talented and she refused to accept defeat essentially. And I really liked that part of it, but I do wish that we had more of her. And I also wish we had more of her outside of just her insulated relationship with Sebastian backslash Cristalia. I think it's complicated because Wang Wang is a female writer, correct? Yeah. And I think that sometimes in feminism we can be very like like most groups, the people talking can be like, oh, feminism means us included, me included. Uh feminism means that we have to support people who look like us. And I think that this Mm -hmm. book was trying, you know, it was trying to talk about, like, different issues that have to do with sex and gender, 
by looking at it from a different perspective. And it is hard because Sebastian is a white man. <laughs> like, so Sebastian does have more privilege in some areas and arenas. I mean, he's literally a prince. But I still think that it's important that we got to see his struggle and that the focus maybe was taken a little bit from Francis. Like, I don't feel as though Francis was at all just a love interest or at all just a sidekick. And I think... Yeah, that's absolutely for sure. And I think that's what makes it okay. Like, it's okay to give other people their stories, especially because this is a story that does question, you know, rigid gender roles. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I wasn't trying to say that it was anti-feminist because of that. I just just think that I wanted Francis a little bit more. I just meant, like, just a little bit more outside of Sebastian because Sebastian dressed as Cristalia and just as Sebastian has a lot of moments where we see him away from Francis um, and Francis has less of those moments and I think that for me I wanted to see more of their friendship build up and that would have been made even more powerful if we could have seen a little bit more of how Sebastian and has had influenced Francis as well And, like, a moment of reflection, because we get a lot of that from Sebastian's end, like, thinking about, like, Francis and what's happening here. Um, Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I think that kind of, it does feel like a little bit more of a one-sided relationship in some aspects. Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily bother me, especially because at the end... Sebastian shows up so hard for Francis and like clearly does care about her and things like that. I think for me, it's more just like of an overall story construction thing where it's just like at the beginning, they fall in with each other so quickly that I wish I could have had a little bit more backstory on what Francis was up to because it just like they they so instantly become a twosome, Mm -hmm. you know? No, I agree. I agree. I think part of it And it's hard because, as we have mentioned several times in this podcast, I don't have the text anymore. I gave it back to the library so that they wouldn't find me, like, 30 bucks. But, (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's just, I think part of it is just the fact that it is a graphic novel. And so we don't get as much. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, the story does start with Frances. And we do see her a little bit without Sebastian. But I think that it is kind of an unequal relationship and I think they do sort of address that by Sebastian like coming back and being like hey I'm sorry I was such a dick to you and stuff (laughs) yeah I thought that moment was really important that like they're able to to address that among the two of them that made me really happy it was really just kind of like a small nitpick on my end it was just something that I I don't think I really realized that I wanted more of it until I heard you mention it at the beginning of the podcast and then it was just like oh, you know, like, I do wish we could have seen just a little bit more about her rise because they were in many ways going together, even though, of course, you're right that, like, this book is about a a gender-fluid human and he absolutely has the right to have center stage, you know? I just want to just, just like a hint more, a scope. Me too, me too. I also think that, like, part of that is because I can relate to Francis more as a character. So maybe, like, maybe that's just me being like, I want to see a character that I can relate to so hard. And I want to see, like, her story play out a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's all I have on The Prince and the Dressmaker, though, unless you have anything that you want to nope. add. We're, like, good on time. I need to go write a thousand words on solar tax, so. <laughs> yeah, let's rock and roll. Uh, do we have any homework this week, Harmony? Oh, right. We didn't do homework last week, either. Um, but that's okay, because that episode still hasn't uh, made it to the publishing house. Um, what do my homework be? My homework is going to be to dress more powerfully because I am kind of a cutesy ragamuffin in my aesthetic. And I've been thinking a lot more about the way that I dress because I do work in retail now. And so like I have to model some of the items. Um, But I want to present myself as like being more powerful and capable. And I wonder if I can do that while keeping just a hint of the cutesy ragamuffin. I think that is most definitely possible. (laughs) Um, my homework this week is much less impressive. I think that I just really want to like 
hunt down some more graphic novels like this because this like really is the first graphic novel that I've ever read and loved. I've liked other graphic novels in the past, but I haven't ever just so, I don't know, intensely enjoyed one before. And I think it really showed me, like I fully went into this expecting to be like, it covers really important topics. Everyone should read it. But like for me, because I don't like graphic novels, it's not my thing. And I was really surprised that that wasn't the case so i think i want to try um jen wang's other graphic novel and maybe read some recommendations based off this because like i'm curious to see if this was kind of a one-off for me just because it was so fucking cute or like if this is a whole thing that i could get into in the future and so that's selfish homework but you know what it's it's what we're going with what are you reading what am i reading uh same stuff that i was reading before on the last episode um yeah it was what was it it was deborah harkness the all souls trilogy the book of life um the deliverance the the physic book of deliverance day by Catherine howe and that uh, guinevere queen of the summer country book which apparently has a lot of really bad reviews which is interesting because none of the reviews are things that like I, they're not the same problems that i have with the book <laughs> I always think it's funny when that happens. Like, um, I have problems. I am also. They're different. <laughs> <laughs> I agree that there are issues. I disagree on what the issues are. Yes. Um, I am also reading the same thing I was reading last time. I'm still working through Iron Gold by Pierce Brown because I, it's a long book and I just keep getting distracted. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I understand that. All right. Uh, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we are talking about... Do you have the medium schedule? Does my phone still alive? My phone is not alive. Well, I think we're doing the 1940s comic, but I don't know if we've decided what that is yet. So so I was thinking that we could do the... Um, what we're talking about is the first female superhero to ever appear in comics. And there right. is... Yeah. There's a little bit of... Like, people aren't sure which female superhero it is. So we're going to be talking about two of them. We're not going to be dissecting a text because it would be really, really hard for us to get it. But we're going to be kind of looking at who these female superheroes were and how they influence female superheroes to come. Fabulous. Fantastic. Look forward to that, which will clearly be a Harmony-led episode. (laughs) All the superhero ones, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know anything about superheroes. I'm I'm lost. All right, thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next week. Goodbye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book 1 on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly. And it's by the gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Oh, all the